Welcome to Heart Church. We believe the gospel has the power to change your whole life, all your life. We hope you're ready to hear from God and be impacted by this message. Hello, you beautiful people. I don't know, but I, I think it's, I think I'm probably, am I right? This is this is definitely, on average, the best-looking congregation of the... Yeah, definitely. I would say about 25 30% really up there. My name's Wayne. It's a huge pleasure to be here with you this evening. If you're visiting with us, a big heart church welcome. We're really praying for you that you find what God wants for you and find what your heart is looking for this evening and this next exciting season of your life. Um, you've turned up at a really exciting point in the life of Heart Church. We're kind of doing a series at the moment called Foundations. And and beyond that, we're going to be looking at order and rhythm. And it's about, it's based on a a bit of the Bible in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And in arriving at this juncture in the life, it's a little bit, you know when you go and visit somebody's house for a meal and it's everything's immaculate and everything's clean and tidy and everything oh the tablecloths absolute and then and then maybe you pop in on a Wednesday afternoon mm, not quite so do you know what I mean well you've turned up and we're really really focusing on something deep and shiny and special and important and, and it's not really for you <laughs> because the thing of it is what's happening at this point in the life of Heart Church and I'm, I really believe this that we're going to be looking back in 10, 15, 20, 25 years and we're going to be thanking God that we took the time at this time in the life of this group of believers to say let's get our foundations right. Let's look at what we're building on and make sure we're building on something good. So you've turned up if you're not part of Heart Church and you've come at a brilliant time. You know, I'm really glad to have you here. Really am. So the bit of the Bible we're going to be looking at and that this series is built on is Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And Acts 2 and verse 42 says, They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And if I somebody said to me, I'm going to preach to you, we're going to do a series, we're looking at devoting yourself to prayer, fellowship, the apostles' are teaching and the breaking of bread. My instinctual little boy inside would be saying, Why? Why? Well, because, 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 because that's what we want you to do. To devote yourself to prayer, fellowship, the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread. And the little boy inside me says, why? He said, well, we've got an agenda. Oh, you've got an agenda. You're building something. Well, no, because, 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 because these people in the Bible, in this story, had an amazing experience. They had an amazing experience. If you read beyond Acts 2, 42, and read 43 to 47, it says, as it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I would say it's important because these people had had an amazing experience. 
Just a few months before, they'd been following this guy, Jesus, who was heralding the kingdom of God here on earth. And he was proclaiming that God's glory was going to be manifest in his relationship with the people of the world. And then it seemed like that was completely annihilated by his death on a cross. And then three days later, he rose again, having risen victorious and defeated sin and hell and death and made a way that every individual on the face of the planet had available to them the possibility of living a life free, not only from the penalty of sin, as in a life separated from God, but the, 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 the power of sin in their own personal lives because they were able to confess it and be forgiven and forgive other people and trust God to settle all of the scores that had happened. And then he descended to heaven. He said, wait in the upper room. They'd gone into an upper room and they'd waited and waited. And he said, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came and it filled every single one of them so that it could preach with power and heal the sick and raise the dead and work amazing miracles. And then 3,000 people got saved and were baptized in one day. And the church was established and lives were transformed. And the course of history was altered and heaven was populated But that's not why I'm talking about this, this evening. See, the truth of it is, this is stuff talking about building the kingdom of heaven on earth. This is stuff that's talking about they devoted themselves and all of those great things happened. And you don't have to build on these foundations. You know, the truth of it is, is that you could just live in a small house. You could live in a small house. You don't have to build on big foundations. You live on small foundations. Or you can build small foundations and build a big house. The trouble is, if you build small foundations and a big house, it might be 10 days or 10 weeks or 10 months or 10 years. But the day is coming when that house is going to come crashing around your ears. Do you know something? There were people earlier on who said that they had run in the Nottingham Robin Hood Marathon. Do you know something? There is a way that you can prepare for a marathon without any exercise whatsoever. It's actually you can do it. You don't have to do any exercise. You don't have to watch your diet. You can eat what you like. You can just sit 24-7 in front of a television set on a lazy boy chair, just flicking through the channels, stuffing your face with pizza and kebabs and tubs of ice cream. You can do that. And I guarantee that if you do that long enough and if you commit yourself to it, eventually your time will reach about 2 hours 30, 2 hours 40. That's your time to get to the bathroom and back, by the way. (laughs) You won't make it to the marathon. You don't have to do these things. You can build on whatever foundation you like. And even more so in the newly proclaimed kingdom of God. Because these guys had experienced a transformation from a world where everything was dictated by rules and somebody pointing a finger and saying what you should do to a world that was basically... It's a staggering thing that the Bible says for a Christian. It says everything is permissible. Everything is permissible. You can do what you like. You don't have to do any of this stuff. Anyway, good evening, everybody. (laughs) Everything is permissible, but not everything 
edifies. Not everything builds you up. Not everything makes you into the person that you were supposed to be when God dreamed of you before the beginning of time. Everything is permissible, the Bible says, but I will not be a slave to anything. There are many things which are permissible, but you will live a miserable life going round and round and round in circles, disaster after disaster, broken, damaged relationship after broken, damaged relationship, again and again and again. You do not have to build on these foundations. But why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you when you see what happened in these people's lives? Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you for your goodness towards us, your people. You've given us the gift of life. You love us. And you've given us all we need for life and for godliness. Lord, you've given us the freedom to be what we choose to be, to do what we choose to be, and you've told us how to live according to your pleasing and perfect will. I just pray this evening you will open our hearts to receive from you. Oh, Lord, not just to do what we can get away with, but to build on strong foundations. I ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. And all God's people said, Have you ever noticed how words can change their meaning over time? I'm, I'm, I'm 50. Everyone say, surely not. No. That's better. Okay. Should, very spontaneous, but I'll take it where I can get it. <laughs> I'm 50, and a couple of months, a few months ago now, I had a conversation with my daughter Beth, who's sitting over there. I'm turning my back on her so she doesn't feel like I'm getting at her, even though I'm pointing at her behind my back. I had a conversation with Beth. She came in from church one Sunday night, and she made a joke. It was a particularly nasty joke, I felt. It was a little, I, I know. She looks like butter wouldn't melt in her mouth. The joke had a little bit of an edge to it, a little bit of, a little gruesome, I felt, a little gruesome, do you know what I mean? And as she said it, I said, Beth, I am surprised at you. And she said, what? And I said, that's a sick joke. And she said, cheers, Dad, thanks. And I said, no, that's a wicked thing. to say. oh, thank you. I didn't think you would like that kind. I don't! My mum, my mum, my mum was born in 1947. Her mum was born in 1912. Her great, her grandmother was born in the 19th century. I visited my mum, I know, ooh, very old. I visited my mum last weekend. And she, genuinely, my mum, she, she said this, Joe. Joe was there at the table. She said, I decided, no matter how I was feeling, to go out and be as gay and bright as possible. I was kind of, oh, I don't feel gay, but I'm going to go out and act gay, and maybe <laughs> if I act gay for long enough, I'll be gay. And I, yeah, mum, don't say that. <laughs> this is the 21st century. The thing of it is, I, I, I had a choice. I could either say to her, say that oh I could think well what did she mean when she said that what did she want me to understand and I realized that what she meant was that she wanted to be jolly and happy and carefree and light-hearted that's what she wanted this word fellowship they committed themselves to prayer fellowship the apostles teaching and the breaking of bread is a bit 
It's one of those words. It's a word that, it's in the Bible, but nobody uses it really in any other context than this context where I'm standing in church behind a pulpit talking to you. That's the reality of it. I looked in the Cambridge Dictionary, and in the Cambridge Dictionary, there are two sections. One section said formal, that describes something about fellowships in universities, and the other one said old-fashioned, and then give another description. And I thought, I'm going to close that, and I'm going to find out what the person who wrote it in this book meant when they said it. And when you look at what the person who wrote it in this book said, they were writing in Greek. And the Greek word that they used was this word. The word is koinonia. Everyone say koinonia. koinonia. Say it with like passion and zip. Koinonia. Now say it a little bit glum and downhearted. Now say it as if you're really excited to be saying it. Oh, that's fantastic. You did that marvelously well. Now, this word, this word, koinonia, um, has a number of different meanings and intonations in the Bible. It means, in this context, partnership, participation, communication, communality, sharing things in common, sharing generally, contribution, all of the. This idea communality, having things in common, has with it the idea of somehow things losing a little bit of their specialness or exclusivity. It was mine, but now it's not mine. It's there and it's ours. I've got access to it and you've got access to it. Our Father God thinks an awful lot about us. And when I say about us, I don't just mean about me and you, I mean us. Everyone say, we are important. We are important. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says this. It says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word handiwork is a word, Greek word poema, which we, we are his composition. So not I am his handiwork and you are his handiwork. We are his handiwork. Say we are important. God thinks a lot about us. You don't have to say that. God thinks a lot about us. We are what he put together to do the great things he wants to put together. And the fact that we have things in common, things that are mine that I lay down so you can use them, and things that are yours that you lay down so I can use them, is an important part of us being us. These people, at this time, in the history of the church of Jesus Christ... They shared all things in common. If anyone had need, they gave to him. They went from house to house. In John 13 verse 35, Jesus prophesied of these people and the church that they would become. And he said, they will know that you are my disciples by this love you have for one another. They will know. And later on in the Bible, later on in the Bible, later on in the Bible, it said of them, see how they love one another. You know something? Fellowship is not just an add-on or an add-on to a system. 
It's something that's supposed to contaminate the whole system. Every aspect, every dimension, every part of it. And fellowship is not just something that you do where you go over the road for a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. It's not something where we add a little bit of fellowship time at the end of a session. We'll make an opportunity for fellowship. Fellowship is something that's absolutely and intrinsically part of everything that should be a characteristic of us. We the body of Christ. When I was about 25, 26, 27, I, I was the manager of a residential care home for people with learning disabilities. I'd trained as a learning disabilities nurse. And when I first took over that role, it was a bit of a mess. Um, there were brilliant systems. There was a truck that would deliver food once a week and the staff member that would sit down, who would sit down one whole afternoon balancing the budget and making the food orders. The truck would come and the full-time cook would prepare wonderful food. There were one and a half full-time equivalent cooks who would prepare wonderful food every day for the people who lived in that care home. And when they'd finished their food, the cook and the kitchen assistant and one of the cleaners would tidy round and do everything that was necessary so that the residents had no pressure on them whatsoever. Ever. The residents lived in, in, many of them in shared rooms. There was a smoking room for the staff and a staff room and a staff office. And it was a real, very, very, very unhappy place to live. Because as soon as they came in from the day center, the food was served. 40 minutes later, those people went off leaving the care staff to deal with all the challenging behaviors of the people who didn't have lives to live. I remember yeah. one evening there was a a woman, I genuinely happened, she sat there and the tea had finished and she picked her plate up and she threw it at the wall and it slid down the wall and she said, is this real life? And many thousands of pounds were spent on psychologists and behavior therapists and psychiatrists and social workers and nurses to help those people. And I took over as the manager of the care home and the first thing I did, I got all the staff members, I said, who's got a key for this house? And they all handed them in and I gave them to the residents. And some of the residents couldn't speak and some of the residents couldn't walk and I had a, they had a key. And the staff member said, well, what, what am I supposed to do when I come to work? And I said, well, you can ring on the bell and somebody who lives here can answer the door for you and let you in. Don't worry, there's always somebody in. And we got rid of the cook and the kitchen assistant and the cleaner. And we got rid of the van. And we got rid of the weekly order for food. And basically what happened, we, split, we got rid of the smoking room and the staff office and the sleepover room and we turned everybody their own bedrooms and the staff office was a little pantry in the kitchen. And the residents would come home on an evening and one evening a week, each of the little flats, because they lived in little units with their own kitchen and their own lounge and their own laundry. And they would, do the, they, they would decide what the menu was for the week and then they would go out each night and shop for the food and cash their pensions and pay for it with their money rather than making a contribution for the food to be offset against. And remarkably, they would cook a meal together with the staff supporting them because now we had more staff because the cook and the cleaner and the kitchen assistant were now care assistants. And they would come back and by the time it got to half past nine, quarter to ten, every evening, you had a house full of very, very tired people. And over the course of the next six months or year, we spent virtually no money on behaviour therapy psychologists because basically people needed not an add-on to their system. They needed what that woman had asked for. They needed real life to permeate every aspect of all of the systems that she was involved in. That's koinonia. That's koinonia. That's the level at which koinonia 
fellowship affects the life of an individual, of a community, of a church, of a society. Now, I'm sure that there are some people here right now, and without realizing what it was, you've been doing it for a long, long time. You don't just go to your life group. You don't just go to your TO crew. You don't just go to your team meeting and just turn up. You have real fellowship, real koinonia with the people that are there. But I want to tell you right now, doing the same thing in the same place at the same time with the same people isn't fellowship. It's just habit. It's just what you do, what you've always done, what you're going to do next week and the week after. Has anybody ever watched the program Gogglebox on television where people watch television programs together? And have anybody seen the banter that goes on between families and groups of people who watch that where something comes on and then somebody swears and somebody shouts at them for swearing and somebody says, oh yes, Agnes does that as well. She never does. You've seen that? That's fellowship. That's fellowship. People are sharing an experience. That's very different from walking into a room where eight people are sitting on their personal devices. They're doing the same thing in the same place at the same time with the same people. They might do that for five hours a day. I'm not criticizing personal devices. They're a brilliant thing, but they're not fellowship in that context. A shared experience, listening together, singing together, experiencing something together, a shared movie, a shared memory. So that's koinonia. Do you know something? We live in a society where people think that, oh, that's amazing. All these people are making stuff available and it's exactly right for me. Their algorithms are deciding what I want to watch. They're giving me something private and personal for me because they're like me. Well, not really, because they like the fact that he's sitting in the same room as me watching something that's private and personal and dedicated to him because that means that they can sell him some stuff that he, that he likes that I wouldn't like. So they separate us in order to sell us things. Did you know that? Your personal time and your interest and your attention has been commodified so that a multinational corporation can make billions and billions and dollars and all it has cost you is koinonia. The experience of sharing, fellowship. See, the thing of it is, I went to London once and I tried to dress up. It's very difficult to impress anybody in London. Walking down the street, I felt I'm looking pretty swag. I'm doing the whole kind of like... I'll just walk past that shop window again just to have a little bit of a look. I like the way she opened that door just at the right moment. And the thing of it is, as I looked around me, everybody was doing the same thing. We were all in the same. The thing is, Joanne's laughing because she knows that this isn't a joke for exaggerated dramatic potential. <laughs> there are some that are exaggerated. That's really what happened. That's really what happened. Anyway, the thing is, everybody else was doing the same thing in the same place at the same time. And everybody was wanting to be noticed. I was a lot younger, okay? I've grown out of it a little bit, okay? <laughs> Everybody was doing the same thing in the same place at the same time, but nobody was meeting anybody's need. Nobody was admiring me, and I wasn't admiring anybody else. Do you get that? That's a very different thing from us coming together to share our joy in fashion and clothing. That's a very different thing altogether when we enjoy each other and celebrate each other and talk about each other and play off each other and encourage each other and inspire each other. That's a different thing all together from koinonia. 
The thing is, these people, they devoted themselves to this stuff. Listen to what I said. They devoted themselves. God did not do it. They devoted themselves. They didn't devote their Sunday evenings. They didn't devote a little bit of their attention. They devoted themselves to it. You know, sometimes we can wait for God to move. And we can wait a very long time. And out of the silence, his voice comes and he says, it's your move. We wait for a move of God. And God is waiting for a move of me. God is waiting for a move of you. And one of the things he wants us to move into is a devotion to koinonia. A devotion to fellowship. Now, I'm not just talking about coming to church. I mean, Hebrews 10, verse 24 to 25 says this. And you can take a little bit of it and think it just says, come to church. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, this is not just describing coming to church. Now, I've got to say... If you say, I want to experience all of the blessings of being part of the body of Christ, and I'll come sometimes, now and again, maybe if I'm not working or I've not got anything more important, you're not going to get the benefit of it. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Like having a shower, yeah? Having a shower, somebody says, you know, how often do you have a shower? Well, I have a shower all the time. There's one in our bathroom. Yeah, no, no. Having a shower is something that you actively do. Do you know what I'm saying? And having a shower... You can go into the bathroom and you can have a lot of shower products and turn the shower on and you've still not had a shower. But you're a lot closer than you were. If you're sat at home watching television when you should be in the house of God, you're not going to experience the possibility of the potential of maybe the glimpse of an idea that you might have fellowship with somebody. But you still haven't had a shower. You take your clothes off. You sing loudly. You've not had a shower. You've got to stand in the shower. You've got to get under the spout. I'm not, we, we take this Hebrew scripture sometimes and I've heard people talk about don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together as is the habit of some. And that's exactly right. Don't tell me, well, I don't know what it is. The tablets, I got them. They fulfilled the prescription. They haven't helped me a little bit. Well, did you take them? Well, you've been splitting hairs now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You've actually got to have them, get them, and then put yourself under the spout where the glory comes out, as an old preacher famously said. So we're talking about gathered church, not just a, and koinonia fellowship, not just being a system among systems, but something that manifests itself, that expresses itself, that is found in every dimension of the system, so that when something is thought of, the way that people share and participate and engage is part of it. See, all of these words, participation, partnership, communication, community, communality. Do you notice they've all got similar little beginnings? Partnership. Participation. It's talking about I've got a bit of the whole and you've got another bit of the whole and I put my bit out there. And you put your bit out there and we avail ourselves of it. Community, the combat is all about sharing. I share what I have, you share what you have and we are both blessed 
in that process. I want to tell you right now, the word of God tells us that you are gifted. Everyone say, I am gifted. gifted. You didn't sound like you believed. If there was a gifted class in the world for anybody who wanted to apply for it, according to the Bible, you are already chosen to be in it. I'm going to read from um, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 22. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributed them to each just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body. So it is with Christ for we were all baptized by one spirit so are to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles slave or free and we were all given the one spirit to drink even so the body is not made up of one but of many now if the foot should say because I am not a hand I don't belong to the body it would not for that reason stop being part of the body if the ear should say because I'm not an eye I don't belong to the body it would not for that reason stop being part of the body if the whole body were an eye Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has made the parts in the body. Every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I'm going to count to three. And I want you to say, I am gifted. As if you mean it. One, two, three. You are gifted. There are so many more gifts in the Bible. Different gifts that God's given to different people. The gift of administration. The gifts of helps. Lots of different gifts. The gifts of hospitality and generosity. And God has given every gift to every individual as he sees fit. We're all part of the same system. Sharing is about bringing your part Sharing what you have. Not finding those of God's people who I have things in common with. Why would it need devotion to love, to like, to enjoy the company of those who value what you value, who have what you have, or love what you love? Having things in common with God's people actually means that I've got something that you don't have. You've got something that I don't have. I will make what I have available to you. And I will be willing to receive from you something that I don't have. And I won't feel bad about the fact that I don't have it. I'll just feel overjoyed that it wasn't available to me before. But now it is available to me because you have it. That is what koinonia is. That's what fellowship is about. I've got a picture on the screen now. It looks like Mickey Mouse, but it's not Mickey Mouse. So try and not think about 
Mickey. In fact, try and think that I didn't mention that it looks like Mickey Mouse. Okay. What this is, is actually the, a, a diagram that describes the way a water molecule looks. Yeah. This is a strange thing. A water molecule is actually made up of three atoms. Yeah. It's made up of a hydrogen atom and two, not two hydrogen atoms, and an oxygen atom. Now, the thing of it is, what you don't know, right? Each hydrogen atom only has one electron in its outer shell. Oh. Everyone say, oh. And the thing is, every hydrogen atom, if there are any hydrogen atoms in the room, you will know it, uh, really, really desperately longs and wants and desires to have two electrons in its outer shell and is desperate to interact with anything that's got an electron to spare. And therefore, hydrogen is highly explosive and quite dangerous to have around. And it comes into a room and here's an oxygen atom and an oxygen atom atom has six electrons in its outer shell and desperately wants to fulfill its octet which makes it have eight but you've only got one and I've got six but if there are two of you 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 can give me what the, the what you can share with me the one that you have and I'll share with you one of the six that I have and now we're bonded now we are part of a molecule an incendiary oxygen and explosive hydrogen become water, the staff of life. How would it be if it was just oxygen and more oxygen and more oxygen and then some oxygen leaves? It's not different, no difference. But if it's oxygen that's got a need and hydrogen that's got a need and their needs coalesce, then something transformational can and will and does happen. God wants us to be transformed. But the thing is, it requires something that called devotion. It requires an input of energy from somewhere. Somebody's got to do something to make this happen. And koinonia, sharing, feels like you are diminished. Here is me. I don't have enough. I am insufficient. I want to tell you right now, if you're in this room and you feel insufficient, I've got a good reason why you feel insufficient. You're insufficient. You were built that way. And when you're insufficient and God says, now I want you to take what you've got and make it available to other people, initially it feels like you are diminished. But in reality, you are increased. Your division becomes multiplication. Your subtraction becomes addition. Because as you give of what you have, what others have becomes available to you and you realize that your capacity to use what you have was never all that in the first place because you were given enough for the people who don't have. When you engage in fellowship, it feels like you're exposed. You're made vulnerable. When you describe to people, this is what I have. It is insufficient to do what I know I must do. Has God given you something to give to me to help me fulfill my purpose? This is what I have. The fear that somebody might look at what you have and mock it, reject it, despise it, condemn it, judge it, be haughty about your gift can leave us to a situation where we withhold, withdraw, isolate, diminish what God wants to do through his body, the church. I'm here 
this evening to say to everybody in the sound of my voice bring what you have been given don't hate what you have love who God's made you he didn't make a mistake when he made you don't pretend to have what you don't have so that people who could offer you what you need feel that you don't need it don't become an oxygen atom pretending to be a hydrogen atom and withdrawing and withholding from an hydrogen atom what he really needs don't envy what others have receive what others bring without judgment without criticism receive what they have and if what they bring is something that's volatile and unfriendly and not helpful thank God that they live in a world where God's going to send them somebody sometime to meet their need we've been looking at prayer fellowship the apostles teaching and the breaking of bread Pastor Malcolm just a couple of weeks ago said something fabulous about the apostles teaching he said the beginning point of receiving the apostles teaching it starts at a point of humility I am insufficient the next one prayer requires faith in God that he will meet my need the next one the breaking of bread is faith is I am insufficient I have faith that he will meet my need and I know that he will meet my need through the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me from all unrighteousness that makes me free and fresh and full and whole that means that I can enter an eternity in heaven when I die but I can live it fundamentally abundant life now but communion also takes us to the place where we recognize that God's able to make my need by making me part of the body of Christ. And fellowship, fellowship is that final step of saying, I am insufficient. I have faith that God will meet my need through the blood of Jesus Christ, sacrificial death on the cross, through placing me in the body of Christ, the church. And I now choose, I now choose to trust God's people. I be generous with what I have and willing to receive, to celebrate and engage with others. This is fellowship. This is koinonia. Are you here this evening and is your heart warm? I believe that it is. I believe that it is because we were all built for this. There are, there's a list all over the internet of the most popular films of all time. And there are lists by audience members and directors and film producers. It fascinates me. I looked at the list of the most, 10 most popular films of all time. And three films keep appearing on those lists. The Fellowship of the Ring, Star Wars, and Shawshank Redemption. Yes, all great films. But why are they so attractive to us human beings? Because they're all about people who are in difficult situations, facing fierce opposition, recognizing their vulnerability, their insufficiency, and collegially coming together with other people and pooling their resources and sharing and giving and receiving and trusting and being betrayed and trusting again and moving forward together. They're all about koinonia. You were made for this. Genesis 2.18 says, it's not good for man to be alone. You were not built to be lonely in a crowd. You were built to be in a crowd where you belong, giving what you've got, taking what you need. I'm sure there are two groups of people here this evening 
one groups of people are one group of people you're already in Christ you know that your ticket to heaven has been paid for that the blood of Jesus Christ has atoned for your sins and you are part of the body of Christ but if you are that and your heart is warmed strangely today I'm here to say please let go of the system and embrace the real life that God has made available to you in his body the church they devoted themselves you need to devote yourself God didn't do it they did it and it worked the thing of it is you don't have to build on that foundation you could live a small life with all your hope placed on an eternal security in heaven you could build something grand based on your own self inspired delusion or the fact that you can con everybody to believe that you're something that you're not you can build your heart hard so that it's impenetrable to other people and you can manipulate others even as a Christian and take into yourself what you need from other people in order to build something bigger than your foundations will accommodate I'm here to tell you if you do that if you are doing that it may be 10 days or 10 weeks or 10 months or 10 years but it will crash down and if you do it again it will crash down and it will crash down and it will keep crashing down till you say I'm stopping here and I'm building a solid foundation this is what I choose to do with my life heard an old story about three tramps in the dark arrived in a little shack one of them had three bacon bones one of them had half a potato the other one half an onion and some spices they agreed they were going to make a stew by pooling their resources but each of them thought well I could take my little bit out and I'll just enjoy what the others have got and then I'll take it home afterwards and enjoy it on my own and threw a stone into the pot and then when the stew was served which was just hot water they each sat there I didn't realise how much my contribution would have meant I want to tell you right now if everybody in this heart church made the contribution that they had been given by God to me the fragrance, the flavour, the quality of the experience would intoxicate the people of Nottingham and the people of Britain and the people of Europe and the people of this generation. But are you holding back? Because God is calling you to fellowship, to give what you've got. But I believe also that there are another set of people in this room this evening you're not yet in Christ as I've been describing this, these stories you've been warmed in your heart I'm saying, I want that but I know that what I've got is soiled spoiled by my wrongdoing my sin and the vindictive vengeful spirit that I have towards other people I need to experience a cleansing from my own sin and the sins of other people I need a new start in life I need to bring to the table not my own messed up experience I need to bring a new life that's only available in Jesus Christ and I'm not that I want to tell you right now you might not be that when you came in the door this evening but you can be that when you leave this place I'm here to say will you come home let's bow our heads we're going to say a prayer now in a moment counted into this prayer whether you're already a believer or you're, you've never made that commitment but you want to say yes Jesus be Lord of my life count me into all you've got repeat this prayer after me dear heavenly father 
I thank you for this gift of life. I acknowledge my insufficiency. But I thank you that in Christ and your church, you will give me all I need. I accept your sacrifice, Jesus. Make me clean. Set me free. Make me whole. And I accept my place in your body, the church of Jesus Christ. While every head is still bowed and every eye is closed. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or perhaps you prayed that prayer in this moment, and you know that this is a, an act of recommitment, of saying, I'm choosing fellowship with God and with his people. I'm choosing to bring what I've got and receive what I need. Would you put your hand over your head when I count to three? When you put your hand over the above your head, somebody will put a card in your hand, and you can take your hand down, and afterwards they'll come and pray with you, give you the gift of a Bible. Take the opportunity to get to know you and maybe introduce you to the life that you've been waiting for. One, you know your heart is warmed. You know this moment is your moment. Two, are you going to devote yourself? Are you going to walk away unchanged, unblessed, unprospered, with your gift unexpressed? Or will you put your hand up now when I say three? Three. Put it high above your head. High above your head. Where I can see it. I believe there's somebody here. God wants to do business with you. And he wants to do business with you through one of his children. And they're standing around as section pastors right now. I'm not going to push this. But I want you to be blessed. You, you prayed that prayer. Put your hand above your head. Fantastic. Thank you, Lord. And in closing, Christian, man of God, woman of God, you are free to come and go from this place as you please to invest nothing and to take nothing to enjoy social interaction and inspiring words you don't have to build on these foundations why wouldn't you why would you choose not to Come to the end of this message. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Stay up to date with everything going on in the life of our church by checking out our social media. Just search Heart Church UK.